Isn't that fun? So this isn't in my notes, but special thanks to Brian up there in the sound booth, because I discovered my mic's been on the whole time. So I've been to the bathroom. I've been in the <laughs> lobby talking, singing at the top of my lungs. So bless you, my son. <laughs> if ever you want to like, uh, yeah, make my life miserable, all you got to do is turn up the sound, I guess. I'm usually a little more careful than that. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're all visualizing how bad that could be, aren't we? <laughs> All right, let's get back. Okay, everybody join me again back here in the church. Um, we have been participating for the last several weeks uh, with the city of Detroit, actually for the last couple of months, of being a vaccination site uh, here at Grace, which has been an incredible way for us to serve the community and help us to get over this uh, nasty thing called the pandemic, which we're all excited about the day when we can... Uh, just get back to whatever the new normal is, but something new. But uh, here's the deal. We need volunteers. So every week, we just need a few people who will greet people as they pull in, help them to get uh, parked, help them to move through uh, the line, kind of just hosting. Uh, you don't have to administer any shots. Uh, we'll let them do all that. Uh, but we just need a few people each week. And so I know that we have enough people here in the room to fill out the rest of the summer as long as they're asking us to do it. Uh, we're going to continue to do it. And you can just go to the information counter, which is right outside these main doors, uh, and just let them know that you can give a Saturday. Um, they're usually done uh, by 1 o'clock, uh, 2 o'clock at the latest, depending on how many people show up. We've been having uh, 500 to 600 people each Saturday, which is great, uh, just at this site alone. So if you can give some time, uh, we would love for you to do it. If you're here in the building, go to the information counter. If you're online, just uh, call the church, 313-882-3000, uh, and just let them know that you can serve. Maybe somebody who's online right now who's part of the team will just put that in the comments, or the phone number, and then you can just call and get us connected, okay? So let's just uh, let's take care of that today for Dorothea. Let's get all the volunteers, and that way she can uh, keep moving forward with the uh, vaccination Saturdays. All right. Week two, as, as uh, Joy pointed out, of the series that we've called We Are, and what we're doing is taking kind of a step back and talking about who we are as a church, what makes Grace Community Church unique, what makes us the church. Uh, I said it last week, but in a lot of ways, these are the types of things I talk about when we do new member class or new member orientation. Um, but I would also say to you, even if you've been around Grace for a long time, uh, this is for you as well. There is, uh, even as I've been preparing the last couple of weeks, things that I need to revisit, things that I need to rethink about, and it'll be the same for you. So last week we talked about this God-given calling for us to be a mosaic, that that mosaic word means something to us to be this radically diverse uh, community living in unity. Uh, and the unity, the, the, the unity that we have here at Grace uh, is to be a beacon of hope uh, in our world, especially in a time when we become more and more divided over more and more issues. The way that we come together uh, as a diverse group uh, really is uh, our opportunity to be a light, right? And I said it last week, but as the world grows darker, our light begins to shine even brighter. All right, so one of the things we learned as we looked at, at uh, 1 Corinthians last week was that whatever divides us, whatever comes between us, whatever causes us to have angst with one another, remember that it says whatever divides us, Christ is bigger, right? Christ is bigger than whatever divides us, and we are a mosaic. Today, we're going to explore what it means when we say we are a word 
and Spirit Church. You've probably heard me use that phrase before. If you haven't, it's a phrase we use all the time when people say, what's grace about? I say, we are a word and spirit church. So before I unpack that, let me pray for us. Lord, I have uh, a million things. Well, maybe not quite a million, but a lot of things going through my mind, things that I feel like you want me to say, uh, but we have uh, 30 minutes. And so I pray that you would guide my words, uh, that whatever I say would be what you want me to say. I pray that we would all hear something this morning that would spur us on to live life differently, to do things uh, differently, that we would hear a word from the living God and that we would leave this room different than we came. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we say we are a word and spirit church. And what I want to do is just kind of unpack both of those main words. What does it mean that we're a word church? And then I'll talk about what does it mean that we're a spirit church and how those two uh, different uh, things are interwoven together. But what does it mean when we proclaim we are a word church? Well, simply stated, it means that we wholeheartedly believe that this book, the Bible, is the inspired and errant word of God. The 66 books written over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents all come together to make the inspired word of God. I've been saying it all the way along, but the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy, and this is our final authority on all matters of faith. There's a Proverbs that says that there is a, a way which seems right to a man, but that way only leads to death. And the truth of the matter is we fall into this trap all the time of thinking, well, that seems like a much easier path for me. That seems like a better way. I really desire to do that one thing that's in front of me. But what the, what the scripture is saying, even though it feels like the right thing, even though the culture may tell you it's the right thing. If it goes against what the Bible says, then it is a path that leads to death. And you could just say, well, what do you mean by death? It leads to chaos. It leads to pain. It leads to loss of relationship. So the very thing that you think leads you to freedom, the scriptures say, actually enslaves you, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads only to death. So let me say it this way. The Bible is trustworthy and it is our final authority on all matters of faith. And that word authority means something. We give the scriptures authority over us as leaders. We encourage you to give the scriptures authority in your own life. What does that mean? It means when the Bible says that this is a better way, that you believe it's a better way and you move in the way that it says you should move. So when it comes to issues like abortion, when it comes to issues like, about like sex or sexuality, gender confusion, marriage, divorce, justice. These are all, uh, all different areas of life where the culture is saying one thing, but scripture is telling us something different. We are going to go with what the scripture says, not with what the culture is saying. So I'm going to say it one more time. The, amen. The Bible is trustworthy, and it is our final authority on all matters of faith. So I have a guarantee for you this morning. Here's my guarantee. If you will take the time to read the Bible, 
And when you read the Bible and study the Bible, every time if you were to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to reveal to you the truth in the Bible, if you would just open up and say, Lord, I, I don't know that I understand all this. And sometimes it's confusing to me, but would you just speak to me as I read the Bible? If you will commit to doing that over time, you will discover that these 66 books written over 1,500 years are so intertwined that the story is so phenomenal that all of these books point to the redemptive work of Jesus that it will embolden your faith. It will create in you an understanding that this can't be anything but the revealed word of God. It's just too coincidental. It's just impossible for all of these books written this way. So if you will commit to being in the word of God, especially while leaning into the Holy Spirit, you will discover that it is true, that it is trustworthy. So here's the deal. In my lifetime... Uh, more and more, really in the last two decades, more and more mainline uh, Christian denominations have made declarations that they no longer see the Word of God as authoritative. They no longer believe that it's the inspired Word of God. They would say, well, it's a good book, right? It's a helpful book, but we don't believe it's the Word of God. And so what we are doing is we are putting a stake in the ground and saying at Grace Community Church, we are going to hold true to the belief that this is indeed the inspired Word of God. So why do we uh, add the spirit language? Why do we say we are a word and spirit church. Why not just say we're a word church? Because throughout the history of the church, there has been this tendency for churches to become one or the other. To be word churches that are so dogmatic and so rigid and so uh, uh, legalistic in the way they interpret scriptures that there's, there's nothing spirit-led in it. Or churches that are so spirit-led and everything's about feeling and emotion and miracles that they leave out the rest of the scriptures and what the scriptures are calling. There's this need for us to have this balance where we believe that the word of God is the word of God and the spirit of God is moving through it. So if you look even at, even at the story of Jesus, if you just think about it, think about the Pharisees. They knew the word of God. They memorized entire books of the Bible. They knew the word of God. Yet when the Jesus himself, the son of God, was standing right in front of them, they were unable to see him. They were unable to recognize him. They were unable to see him for who he really was. And in fact, if you read the story, they misuse the Old Testament scriptures as justification for killing Jesus. Jesus actually said to them, you, he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, he says, you search the scriptures, you search the Bible, you search the Torah, because you think they give you eternal life. But, the scriptures just point to me, right? And what is he saying? He says, we have this tendency as people, as people who are following God, to begin to worship the word, right? To worship the Bible instead of the person that the Bible is pointing to, right? We need to understand that because we can become consumed with like, like I, I need more of this because I just need more of this. What you need more of is the person who this reveals. You're not gonna find that person Unless you're in the word, but the word is not what we worship. We worship the person that it points to. Thank you.
One of the things that we say around here all the time is that the heart of discipleship is to hear and obey. And what do we mean by that? We mean that you need to pay attention to the subtle and sometimes not so subtle movement of the Holy Spirit when you are in the Word of God. Sometimes you will feel this nudge that you need to apply what you're reading, right? It's not enough just to read it, right? What does James say? He says, you don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers as well. So when you hear that nudge, when, you, when you're reading something, you know, man, I, I need to think about this. I'm, I'm not a very forgiving person. There's a lot in here about forgiveness. Whatever it is, you feel that nudge, you need to do what the great theologian Nike says, right? Just do it right? But there's more to this than just declaring what I've said so far, what it means to be a a word and spirit church. Here's what we're saying at Grace, and this is important, and I go through this in great detail when I do the new member orientation. We believe and we affirm all of the gifts that we see in the scriptures. We still believe that they are a part of the church today. All right, what I want you to do is grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what I want to make the case for you is that we believe that all of the spiritual gifts are still in play. And what we're going to see is not only are they in play, but they're necessary for the church to be who the church has called to be. 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 12. And here's the deal. I'm going to talk about chapter 12. I'm going to talk about highlights from chapter 13. And I'm going to look at highlights from chapter 14. So if you just keep it open to to 1 Corinthians 12, we'll be just hitting the highlights of it. And I have a homework assignment. If you're looking for it in the Bible under your seat, it's 959. So 959 is 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, While you're looking for it, uh, let me just kind of share with you the homework assignment. Read these three chapters in one sitting sometime this week, 12, 13, and 14. Just sit down, read through them, and, and, and I encourage you to do this because there's just no way that I can cover this much text in the few minutes that we have here this morning. So read 1 Corinthians 13, or 12, 13, and 14 in one sitting, okay? So 1 Corinthians 12 starts with these, these words. He says, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. Concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul is writing to what most biblical scholars agree is probably the most dysfunctional of all of the churches that Paul writes to. I don't know what was going on in Corinth, but these dudes were a mess. Right? There's all kinds of problems that he is addressing. So he's talked about spiritual uh, authoritative, authoritative abuse. He's talked about uh, big sin issues in the earlier chapters. He's, he's, he's covered uh, all kinds of dysfunction, all kinds of struggles that are going on. And now he gets to this place and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, you're abusing those as well. Concerning spiritual gifts, I need you to be well informed. So look at verse 4, and this is how we're going to do this. I'm just going to move fast through each order. I can't read them all because we don't have time. Verse 4, he says, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Then in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And this is what he's telling us. Your spiritual gifts are not for you. Your spiritual gifts are for the common good of the body of believers and so that the church can be who the church has been called to be. 
And then he goes on and he begins to list some, and it's important that we know this, some of the spiritual gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. So verse 8, he talks about wisdom and knowledge. Verse 9, he talks about faith and healing. Verse 10, he talks about miracles and he talks about prophecy and discernment. He talks about speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Just a sample of some of the spiritual gifts that we see talked about in Scripture. And then look at verse 11. You tracking with me? I know I'm moving fast, but this is the only way to do this. Verse 11, he says, all these gifts, right, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions, that's a different verse, sorry. Verse 11, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And this is what he's telling us. When it comes to spiritual gifts, and we use this phrase, this is a phrase that was given to us by Rock Bottomley when he was here. God bless Rock Bottomley for the impact he had in helping us to know what it means to be a word and spirit church. But this was our Rock's word. He said, all have some, but none have all. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have, oh yeah, for, for the record, I don't know how I didn't say this earlier, but I was told we had 11 kids except Jesus as their personal savior at the conference yesterday. Yeah, that needs a bigger applause than that. That's very cool. Um, so all 11 of those young people who said yes to Jesus, you, if you said yes to Jesus, you are given spiritual gifts. All are given some, but none are given all. And this is critical this is so critical because this is where the abuse comes in. No one gift is more spiritual or more holy. They're not merit badges, right? We don't, we tend, this is what we do. We, I know we do it because I, I do it. We all do it. We, we see someone with some particular spiritual gifts and we automatically elevate them to being more spiritual. If you can speak in tongues, you must be really spiritual. If God has given you the gift of healing, you must be really spiritual. If you're good at preaching, you must be really spiritual. And the passage is so important. What is it saying? It's saying no one gift is more important to the functioning of the body than any other. So Paul writes in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but consists of many members. Jump down to verse 21. You're still with me? I'm still in chapter 12, verse 21. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker, don't miss this, the parts of the body that seem, that appear weaker, are indispensable. So here's the question I have for you. Have any of you ever broke your big toe? When I was in high school, I was a wrestler, not a good wrestler, but a wrestler nonetheless. Um, and I was working in my uncle's basement with a sledgehammer breaking out some cement. And I hit the wall with the sledgehammer and it bounced back and it landed on my big toe and broke my big toe. Right? Now, I would say most of us really underestimate the value of the big toe until you break your big toe. And then you realize everything in your body hurts when your big toe is broken because you limp, your knee starts to hurt, your hip starts to hurt, your back's out of alignment, and it is impossible to wrestle with a broken big toe. I can say that from experience. You, you can't really do much of anything when you really break your big toe. What's the point I'm trying to make? A part of the body that seems so overlooked 
Right? How many of you think about your big toe all that often? I, I mean, even now I don't think about it unless I'm doing a sermon, right? It seems overlooked, but it's so critical to the healthy functioning of the church. Every gift, hear this church, every gift, every gift, every person is indispensable. No gift is more holy than the other, and they are all critical to the functioning of the body. So look at verse 25. He says, I'm telling you all of this so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Don't treat the person with the holy gifts, right? Don't treat the person with the gift of healing as more important than the person with the gift of service or, or administration or or, or one of those gifts that maybe we sometimes overlook. Why does Paul say it? Because that's what we have a tendency to do. We need to recognize that every person who is a follower of Jesus has spiritual gifts. Every person has spiritual gifts. And that all of those gifts are indispensable. All right, so Paul spent a whole chapter and he's been talking about spiritual gifts and saying, you, you have spiritual gifts and you have spiritual gifts and you have, so I feel like Oprah, isn't that how Oprah does it? You get a car and you get a car. It's not in my notes, by the way. She's never actually been in my notes. Anyway, everyone has spiritual gifts and then he gets to the end of the chapter. Look at what he says in verse 31 of chapter 12. And he says, and I will show you, I will show you a more excellent way. What is he talking about here? What is he talking about? Look at the beginning of chapter 13. It's called the way of love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men, right? He's talking about spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Verse two, if I have a prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, but I have not faith, and I have the faith is to remove a mountain, but I have not love. I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, I have the gift of help. So I have the gift of generosity is what he's saying. And I deliver up my very body to be burned, but I have not love. I gain nothing. What is he saying? He's saying spiritual gifts have to be wrapped in the character of Christ. Spiritual gifts have to be delivered in the way of love. If they are not wrapped in love, listen to me, church, it will always, you can take it to the bank, it will always, always lead to abuse. Spiritual gifting and godly character are not the same thing. Do not mistake the two. Because someone has spiritual gifting, because somebody can speak in tongues, because the Holy Spirit has given them a spiritual gift, does not indicate that they are spiritually mature. And Paul is giving us this warning because we are often enamored, right? We are often drawn into certain gifts and we can overlook gaping character flaws, Here's the way I often say it. Spiritual gifting without maturity and self-awareness will always lead to abuse. Character and gifting are not the same thing. And the reason it always leads to abuse is because the spiritual gifting can often give us power. 
power over people, power to be perceived as something special. It, it feeds the ego. It, it causes us to feel like we're invincible. That's why you see leader after leader after leader in the church fall into scandal. Spiritual gifting without maturity leads to abuse. And what's the solution? Paul's telling you it's a more excellent way. The solution is love, right? You cannot abuse someone and love them at the same time, right? Love is what allows us to live into all of the biblical commands, right? All of it is wrapped up. All of the biblical ethics, all of what the scriptures are calling us is summed up in loving God and loving people. To be a mature person, is to be a person who lives a life of sacrificial, honoring love. Look at verses uh, 4 through 7 in chapter 13, 4 through 7. And what he's doing is he's painting a portrait of what a person would look like if they were matured in love. And what I want you to do is imagine an entire congregation, an entire congregation of people who are all functioning in their giftedness. Every one of you are, are bringing your gifts into play for the kingdom of God. All of you are doing that, and all of you are doing it in a more excellent way, wrapping it all in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Every time I read this, I feel conviction because I'm all of these things sometimes. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Look, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. If our spiritual gifting is not wrapped in love, it will always lead to abuse. Chapter 14, verse 1. He says this, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He puts them together, right? He weaves these two together. So we've covered a lot of ground, right? And, and the question is, why is all this so important for us to talk about as a church? Because history has shown us that if we are not a word and spirit church, if we don't focus on both of those things, if we don't keep love the main thing, things go bad. The only way to be a healthy church is to be a word and spirit church. So I want to show you this. This is another gift that we got from Rock when he was here teaching. But this is a kind of a reoccurring pattern that we see through. So if you study church history, you'll see this pattern over and over. People of God, the, the church in general, desires a movement of the Spirit. Things are stagnant. Things are not going well. There's just a, a, and I would say we're in this place right now. As a church in general in America, there is a desire for revival, right? There's a desire like, God, you got to move. Like our country's going, I don't know if I can say that at church. I can. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Right? And so there's this desire for the Spirit. God, would you move in a powerful way? Would you, would you bring revival? And you know what? When the people of God come together and earnestly pray for revival, God shows up. And we experience the Spirit. The Spirit moves in powerful ways. And we see the gifts of the Spirit poured out. And we see people speaking in tongues. And we see people being healed. And we see movement. And you see this in other countries, too, where, where God moves in powerful ways. And there's a movement of the Spirit. And then almost instantly there becomes an abuse of the Spirit. All of that movement in the Spirit gives people power, 
right? And the church leaders become, become arrogant and they, they abuse their spiritual gifting and, and things go awry and, and we have messed up doctrines that tell people if, if, if the person has this gift, they're way more spiritual than the person who has this gift and it all gets out of whack and we abuse the spirit and all of a sudden the, the pendulum swings and we just say, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we prohibit the spirit. That's why you have so many mainline churches who basically say it's all for the past, the spirit stuff. It doesn't even happen anymore. It's their way of protecting the abuse of the spirit and you see this cycle playing out over and over in the church at grace we are determined to break the cycle and the best way to protect us from abusing the spirit is to simply go by what the bible tells us to to abide by what's in the scripture we are committed to neither adding nor subtracting from what the scriptures promise us about the movement of the holy spirit we are a word and spirit church now i don't have very much time but with the little time i have remaining i want to talk about three spiritual gifts in particular now there's a, a long list of spiritual gifts we get them from different places in the bible but i'm going to talk about the three and i'm going to talk about these three because these are the three that have caused the most controversy these are the three that have caused the most abuse if you will the first is tongues there's two different uh tongues that we see in the bible so the first is when a person can speak in a language that they don't really know it'd be as if i went to france and i was going to preach a message and i had an interpreter but all of a sudden i could speak french which by the way i can't speak french but if all of a sudden i could speak fluent french and i delivered a message in french and everybody in the room heard it in their native tongue that would be a gift of tongues that god could give me that's what we see at pentecost we see a whole bunch of people uh, gathered together from all different areas of the world and all of a sudden the Spirit descends on the disciples and they are speaking in tongues and these people are hearing the gospel in their own language. Now my favorite part of that story is the people who are hearing the gospel in their own language accuse them of being drunk. Now I don't know a lot, but I've never learned French by getting drunk, nor have I ever seen anybody learn a language by getting drunk so i'm not sure how they connected those two dots wow that guy's speaking fluent italian he must be drunk anyway i can't even speak yeah anyway total rabbit trail there sorry about that tongue so that's one set of tongues but the second types of tongue we see in our chapter in first corinthians chapter 14 verse 2 says for the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to god for no one understands him he utters mysteries in the spirit it's a prayer language right it's it's this ability to pray in a tongue that you don't even understand. And we believe that the gift of tongues is, is still a part of the church today. But here's the deal. Tongues is not a merit badge. I, this is the theology I grew up with. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not really saved. That's what I was told growing up. Until I could speak in tongues, I wasn't really saved i hadn't really experienced the spirit of god until that gift you cannot make a biblical case for that it's just one of the gifts as a matter of fact if you read what what paul is saying he's saying it's a lesser gift it's a gift for you it's not even for other people it's a lesser gift and somehow we've elevated why because this is part of the abuse of the scriptures tongues are still a part of the church today and we and the question is often asked when i do this new member well then why don't we hear it from the front because the Bible tells us not to. It's very clear. If there's going to be somebody speaking in tongues from the front, then we need to have an interpreter, and we need to have a group of leaders who are going to uh, hear what's said, and we're going to discern whether or not it's actually for the body. And he says it's going to create confusion. 
And for the outsider who comes in, they're not going to know what's going on, so don't do it. So why don't you hear tongues from the front? Because we're a word and spirit church, and the word tells us don't do that. Right? This is how we're going to avoid abuse. So tongues. The second one is healing. And the question that I hear all the time is, does God still heal? And the answer is yes. And we've been a witness to this more and more, actually, in our midst. As we have learned to be more bold in our prayers for people who are sick, we have seen miracles. We've seen miracles down here in front. We've seen miracles in the chapel. We've seen miracles as we've prayed with people online. But again, this is one of the gifts, the phrases that was given to us by Rock. Uh, Rock Bottomley has a book called Promise Power. If you can get your hands on it, it's worth getting. Um, But anyway, uh, this is what he says. He says, when it comes to healing... God often does, yep, he often does, sometimes he does not, but either way, he's always good. I also grew up in a culture that said, if you get the prayer right, God's always going to heal. If you just do it the right way, if it didn't heal, it's because you didn't have enough faith. If you didn't heal, it's because you didn't know the right way to pray. If you didn't heal, it's because you got some sin in your life. If you didn't heal, but it came back to me, like God's going to move if I just get that formula just right. And what Brock is saying, and I believe scripture holds true, is that God sometimes heals probably more often than we even think he will, but sometimes He doesn't. And we need to learn to live in the tension and realize that even if he doesn't, he is still good. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we want it to go. Losing little Jake this year is one of those cases. Look, we prayed. I I am so proud of this church and the way you prayed for Jake and the way you rallied around the the Pinars, the way we, we met, we prayed, we fasted, we marched, we prayed some more, we fasted some more, and we believed. I believed. I believed that God was going to heal Jake Pinar, but he didn't. But God is still good. Do you get that? God is still good. And I'm sad, and I'm disappointed, and I say to myself, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't understand this story played out the way that it did. I felt like we did the right things, but God, I I trust you. Sometimes, here's what we need to understand. This is what scripture tells us. My ways are not your ways. And even if I tried to tell you, you couldn't understand. That's the story of Job, right? When he finally gets his audience with God, God basically says to him, look, you're just a feeble human. You can't understand all the ways of the cosmos. That's my job. You just have to trust that my ways are bigger. So God still heals, but when he doesn't, he can be trusted. Whereas Rock told us, he often does, but sometimes he does not, and either way, he's good. And then the third gift that I always talk about when I do the new member class, and that we need to talk about a little bit, is the gift of prophecy. Uh, Jump back to verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, pursue love. We've talked about why that is important. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We've talked about that important. And especially that you may prophesy. And that one's a hard one because I think we have a misunderstanding of what prophecy is. Like it's, you know, some guy in a weird robe or a gal in a weird outfit. And it's like speaking like condemnation over a group of people. If you don't change your ways right? God's going to strike you with lightning. That's, we, we picture Old Testament prophets, but the New Testament prophecy that we're talking about is very different from this. He goes on to explain, this is a prophecy where God gives you a word to encourage someone, 
a word of knowledge to help someone to, to understand that God sees them. It's a, it's a nudging. So here's the deal. I think prophecy happens way more than we give it credit to. I think if you start to pay attention, God is giving you words of knowledge. God is giving you nudges that can be prophetic words for other people. Have you ever picked up the phone because you felt somebody was on your mind, a friend of yours, maybe even a distant friend, and you knew you just needed to call them, and maybe even for a specific reason, you call them and say, hey, Jack, I just wanted to call you and tell you, and they're like, I can't believe your timing. I mean, I was just working through this, and this is so perfect. This is, I mean, I can't believe you're calling me right now. That is a prophetic experience. When God nudges you or when you, when you know something that you just probably don't even know why you know and you express it to somebody and they're like, man, I can't believe that you knew that. I'm going to give you an example uh, that I go back to all the time of, of a prophetic word. Uh, we were in Morocco and we were having dinner with a, a young man who was raised Muslim, but he had become a Christian and uh, we were sitting at dinner, and I said, how did that happen? I mean, it's not a common story, right? But how did it happen for you? How did you become a believer? And he said, well, I was depressed, and I was suicidal, and I went to the beach, and I was sitting alone on the beach, and I silently prayed in my desperation and my depression, Jesus, if you are real, show me. And he said, within a minute or two, a guy tapped him on the shoulder and said, God sent me to the beach to find you to tell you about Jesus. Imagine being that guy. Like, okay, God, you, you see me, right? We, we, we sang the song, you know my name, right? You see me, you know me, you're, you're moving in my life. And when we have prophetic words for one another, it's a way of us saying, God sees you. Like God is using us to give them a word that says, I, look, this, I'm not just some cosmos power out there, but I see you, I, I know you, I care about you, I want to give a word to you. And I think we have the opportunity to operate in this gift more and more. It may not be your primary spiritual gifting, but Paul is saying, pray that you will prophesy, pray that God will give you a word to encourage, a word to build up, a word to help the body, to know that I am who I say I am. I just want to say this again, but these, these words of prophecy, I think scripture is clear. They are for comfort, encouragement, and the building up of the body. This is another place where spiritual abuse takes place. We think we have a word of knowledge where we can begin to call everybody out like, your sin and your sin and your sin. And that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about at all. I'm bumping up against the time, but I just want to leave you with, with this. Can you imagine the impact that we could have as a church. If every one of you that have said yes to Jesus was putting your gifting into play for the kingdom of God, wrapping it in love. The truth of the matter is we will never be the church that God has called us to be. We can never be this we are church that we're talking about until that is the reality. That's what this passage in Corinthians is telling us until we are all engaged in our giftedness, we will never be the church that God has called us to be. So at Grace, we are a mosaic and we are a word and spirit church. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for uh, making us, thank you for calling us, thank you for gifting us. 
as individuals and as a church, helps us to live into the calling that you've placed on this church. Thank you for the writings of Paul that help us to navigate this complicated issue. Lord, help us to be a church that eagerly prays for the spiritual gift, that pursues love, that have words of encouragement for one another. Amen. So there's a group of people uh, that, that pray for you uh, before the church service starts. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull it up real quick just so I can share what they heard this morning. And guess what? And I have no idea why that's there. That'll throw you off. For all of you who don't know, I'm extremely ADD, and a bench on the stage in the middle of a sermon is going to throw me off. But anyway, uh, prophetic words. We have a group of people that go into the chapel, and they pray for you in the morning, and they listen for what God might be saying to them prophetically for our church. And this is what they heard this morning, that there's someone uh, holding on to unforgiveness, uh, and we want you to know uh, that, that, that God is here to help work you through that, uh, that there's healing for wrong thinking, uh, that someone has a foot issue, right? It's a little bit woo-woo-y, as our friend uh, would say, but the truth is God wants to heal if you have some kind of foot injury. Maybe it's your big toe that he would like to pray for you. Uh, someone is mourning, um, and we would like to just pray uh, for some gladness over you. Uh, someone is just in need of deep spiritual and physical strength. Uh, and then the last thing they heard is someone is suffering from an eye issue. So if you're online, you can just dial a number uh, that's on your screen. They'll put you in a private prayer appointment. If you're here in the room, again, we believe the Spirit of God is still active and moving. We would love to pray over you as the Scriptures command. Come down and allow us to pray. And this is all too weird for me. So. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Hi, Grace honey. family, good morning. Uh, we just wanted to take a couple minutes at the end of the service here. Um, you know, the past year has been difficult for, for all of us for many reasons. Uh, but I, I think many times uh, the leaders of different organizations, and mostly to say for pastors, uh, we assume that they are so deep in their faith that uh, they just kind of sail through all this stuff and they help us get through the struggles we have. But it's been a tough year for Doug. And uh, between all that's been going on in our world, between COVID, between the Pinars and the loss of Jake, and then uh, I think you all know that he lost both parents within about uh, a six-month span. So to say that it's been a challenging year is, uh, is probably an understatement. But the, what we wanted to do today as a church was to tell Doug and to remind everybody here that this is why the church is here, uh, that we may lose those that we love in this world, our parents and other people that we hold dear to us, but that's why we are here as a church family that when we experience loss, the church family surrounds us and reminds us that we're loved. And even in the absence of those we love that may have gone before us, that that church family is here for them. Amen. And so what we wanted to say to Doug today, even though there have been many times this year where you feel as though your legs have been knocked out from underneath you, that we are symbolized by this bench here for you to give you rest and to give you support. And this uh, bench 
is in memory of Vern and Alice, Doug's parents. Oh, thank you. And uh, all of us who are parents know that we are not perfect, as Doug was just saying some of the things they, they brought him up with. We're, we're imperfect, but they loved this man well. And by loving him well, we have all been the beneficiary of that love. And so we're going to put this bench, well, they'll put it wherever they want, but in, and likely in the backyard where Doug and others, as, uh, as they all so often do, have us over there to enjoy a bonfire and just time outside with them. Uh, this bench is to keep the memory of Vernon and Alice alive for Doug and for Meg and just to remind him that the church loves him. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Want to pray us out of here? Sure. So, <clears throat> so, Lord, I just, I thank you for Doug. I thank you for this church. I thank you for one another and all that this church symbolizes. And I just pray, like any good family, Lord, we don't always agree. But, Lord, in good families, we find ways through that disagreement, and we keep our eyes focused on the bigger picture, and that's love, as yeah. Doug just said. I just pray that we as a church... Find our way to that love. Find a way to address one another in love when we don't agree, but that we keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, as you are the promise, you are the gift. And we just uh, lift up Doug, and we lift up Meg, and we lift up this church. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Bless you.